Man, that's better. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is John. I'm the lead pastor, and I am super excited uh, for this morning. Uh, so we're going to uh, go ahead and jump uh, right in. So uh, we, for the last couple weeks and all throughout the semester, leading all the way till Christmas, in both our community groups, uh, which if you're not in a community group, I uh, would highly, highly love for you to get into one, uh, and in these live services, we're talking about this idea of definitions uh, and what we mean by definitions, and this is daughter's favorite part of the service is when I give a definition of the word definition. Uh, a definition is every once in a while, there's all these different words, these different ideas, and based off of our experience, based off of our stories, based off of all kinds of other factors, we might look at the exact same thing, but we might define it very, very differently. Uh, and so let me give you a couple different examples of this. Uh, so the first one's kind of a serious example, because sometimes when we define things, Sometimes we'll have a definition or there's a common definition that's just unequivocally wrong. Uh, and what we need to do is we need to say, that might be the stereotype, but this is actually wrong. And so uh, that would be this idea that the poor are lazy. Uh, you might have heard that before. Uh, if you're honest, you might have thought that before. But as many of you know, uh, you've been to places where there's people that are poor. Maybe you've been someone who's poor. Maybe you are someone that is poor. And the idea that all poor people are in that situation because they are lazy is a stereotype that we should reject and say that is a definition that is, that is bad, that is wrong. On the other hand, there's other things that we define, and it's not that we've defined them wrong. It's that we've defined them incredibly too narrow, uh, and when the actual definition is like so much bigger than that. Uh, and so an example of that is New York. How many of you have ever introduced yourself to someone who is not in New York, and you let them know that you live in New York? What is it that they think of? New York City. Uh, so I moved uh, to New York back in 2002, so almost 20 years ago, which is crazy. So I think I'm officially a New Yorker now. And we moved from the Midwest. And I still think there's some family members of mine that when they picture where Ashley and I live, they picture that we live in New York City. Because they're like, so what's it like to like go on the subway? I'm like, I don't know. They got like sandwiches that are mediocre. I don't know. Like, we, that's like not where we live because... It's not, if you picture New York City when you picture New York, that's not wrong. That is true. That is a way in which you could define New York. But New York is so much bigger and broader than that. There's so much more that encompasses what New York is. And so what we need to do is not just, it's not a definition we need to reject. It's a definition that we need to broaden way, way out. And why we're talking about this is because especially in church world, there's many different terms and ideas that are thrown around, that are prayed for, that are sang about, that are preached about. And sometimes you'll hear an idea presented and it's, it's just wrong. It's, it's not what Jesus intended. It's not what the whole theme of the Bible is actually about. And somehow the, the message has just gotten brought sideways uh, and as Christians, as Jesus followers, there's times where we need to reject that and say, That's, that might have been what you heard. Uh, that is not what this whole Jesus thing is about. That, that's the wrong definition. And there's other times 
when we hear different ideas, and it's, it's just that it's, it's too narrow, and we need to widen it. And that's going to be more of the case of what we're going to look at today. Uh, so the term we're going to define today is this idea of salvation. What does it mean to be saved? Uh, which, if you've been around church for a minute, if you've ever thought about the idea of church, you've heard that idea of, oh, the ch- church, Christians, Jesus is all about people wanting to be saved. And as a group of people, we're hoping that other people get saved. And what does that even mean? I think it's a really big deal. Uh, it's presented all throughout the Bible. So we'll talk about in a few months when we get to Christmas, when the angel came, uh, this is like what they presented, that she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from sins. And what exactly does that mean? Uh, maybe the most Famous scripture in all the New Testament, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And what exactly does that mean to be saved? And this, of all the definitions we're going to cover, and all of these are like pretty like passionate with me, but this I think might be the biggest because I think so many times, as people like will talk about this idea, I mean, to me, following Jesus, living in the way of Jesus, the idea that Jesus came to save us, to me is one of the most like compelling, one of the, you know, get me up in the morning and motivate me through my whole day, life-changing messages that could ever be presented. But for many folks, and maybe this is true of you, is like when you read those scriptures that Jesus came to save it's kind of like, oh, okay, that's, it's fine, like I'm okay, that, that's nice that Jesus came to save me, but it just, it doesn't feel like that's really going to make that big of a difference in my day-to-day life, like in the things that I, I'm stressed about tomorrow, in the things that I see going on in our world today, it's the idea that Jesus came to save me, for, it seems like a nice thing, but it just doesn't feel that like big. And what I hope to do today is reimagine all of us of what the idea of salvation means. Because I think when we understand it, it's not this like little, it's, it's so much bigger, so much more compelling. Uh, so I want to start by looking at a couple of uh, definitions. Uh, this first one is from a class that some of you have taken called the Missionary Pathway. If not, maybe you'll take it at some point. Uh, but I think it's a great description. It says, unfortunately, the gospel, uh, which is the good news, the idea that Jesus came to save has often been reduced merely to accepting Jesus for the purpose of forgiveness of sin and a place in heaven when I die. It's a transactional view of salvation where I take my sin problem and receive a fire insurance policy to make sure that I don't go to hell. I love that. Uh, That's the main reason why you get saved, is so you can go to heaven someday and don't go to hell. It's not that that is incorrect. And so the idea of salvation, it's not that the idea that Jesus came to save you from our sins so that you can go to heaven someday. It's not that that definition is wrong, but it is radically incomplete. That's, That's New York City. It's a much bigger idea. A more holistic understanding of the gospel is concerned about both heaven, what's going to happen someday, 
and earth right here, right now, in a minute from now, an hour from now, and the ultimate merging of those. The good news is about a relational, political, religious, artistic, economic, intellectual, and spiritual revolution designed to give birth to a whole new world. When you begin to study what the prophets, what the Bible, have to say about what it looks like when the kingdom entirely comes, you'll realize very quickly that yes, the gospel includes forgiveness of sin and a life indestructible beyond the grave. That's awesome. It's very cool to think about the idea that my grandfather, who died a couple years ago, is in heaven. That's very cool. But the gospel is much more expansive than that. The gospel of the kingdom consists of every sphere of human concern and engagement, from care to the poor, from bringing justice to the oppressed, feeding the hungry, caring for the sick, fostering education, providing health care, building safe, decent housing, creating art and beauty, freeing souls and propagating health and deep community. When Jesus told us to pray, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, these are the things he wanted to see break into the present right now. Uh, it's a long definition. Here's a little shorter definition. The gospel is a transformational plan, not an evacuation plan. I love that. It is focused not on airlifting souls to heaven, but on transforming lives so that they can be agents of God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, and then here's a last quote. So somewhere along the way, the power and the promise of the gospel has been lost. We've shrunk it down, and in doing so, we've shrunk God down, which I think is maybe the biggest thing about this idea of this definition of salvation is that we've made God incredibly small in this, and God's much, much bigger. Salvation that Jesus came to offer is bigger and grander and more vital than what we have turned it into. It is the hope of the world. It is the reclamation of human life. Uh, and that's from a book that uh, hopefully on your guys' chairs, uh, that's a gift for you. We would love for you to take that home and read that. That's your homework assignment. You get homework at church today. Because I think for so many of us, our natural gut reaction when we hear this idea of safe salvation is, I'm supposed to do something, God did something on the cross or something that is about forgiveness of sins so that I can go to heaven someday. And that's where we start and that's where we stop. And we want to do this big paradigm shift as a church to say yes and so much more. And I think that book, reading it, maybe rereading it a few times, might be a part of expanding that whole uh, view for us on and on and on. Uh, but to help us get us thinking about it a little bit in this room today, we're going to be a little interactive. So here's the definition we're going to use as save today. Jesus came to save us from sin and the effects of sin. Uh, so part of why we're in a big circle today. We're going to attempt to try to be pretty interactive. And so if you're not interactive, this is going to be a really awkward uh, couple times here. Uh, so to start off, uh, I need three or four different individuals who feel like they have like legible, you don't need to have great, but legible handwriting and you don't mind at least making a stab at spelling different words. All right. Thank you, Julie. Which color would you like? You got poked by your neighbor? There you go. That's conviction of the Holy Spirit right there, slash Stephen. 
I, I, you know, like two or three other people who have like some pretty decent, thank you, Jojo. I was kind of thinking that it might be mostly women, but not to stereotype as, look at that. All right, so each of you guys pick a board, pick one of these uh, four boards around. There you go. All right, and we're, we're hoping, because everyone's going to be like very interactive here, so I'm hoping that we get enough words that we're firing them up so quick uh, that we'll kind of go one, two, three, does that make sense? So, man, that's why I brought both, is that one good? All right. All right, so what we want to do first, uh, the idea of salvation is that it came to a solution to a problem, and that problem is sin. And so what we want to do first is we want to spend a little bit of time giving some examples of exactly what sin is. And so I want you to shout out, and we're going to, so you'll you'll write the first one that someone shouts out, you write the second one, third one, fourth one, we'll keep on going around. So what are some examples of what sin is? is. When you think of sin, this is a sin. It's a sin if you do that. It's a sin if that happens in the world. Uh, let's shoot at some examples pretty quick. Adultery. Adultery. Greed. Murder, I heard. Murder. Lying, I heard lying. What is it? Lazy. Laziness, sloth. Got a better marker over there? Keep shouting them out. Greed. I heard greed. Envy. Thank you. What? Got envy already? What are some other ones? Lust. Good. Think about the stuff you've done this past week. Gluttony. All right. Vulnerability. I like it. Worry. Yeah. Disobeying the law, sure. The speed limit. The speed limit. What was that on the way here, Lenore? <laughs> it's good. Easy. <laughs> Give me a couple more. What is it? Coveting. That's good. Ungratefulness. All right, let me look through my list and see if we, if, we, if we missed any. You guys did great. So greed, selfishness, deceit, racism. I think we heard that. Sexism, we missed that. Uh, tearing others down, we kind of got that. Lust, uh, addiction in general. You guys do your best to like, write, sorry. <laughs> uh, revenge, envy, sloth, I heard. Adultery, bitterness. Did we say bitterness yet? Someone write bitterness. Pride. Anger, what is it? Ableism, nice. Drunkenness, uh, idolatry, not honoring to, to your parents. Unforgiveness, abuse, thank you. All right, any others before we? All right, sin. Uh, now let's go to the other side. So part of why sin, we think, is such a big deal is because sin does things. Uh, there's effects of sin. Uh, so now we're going to shout out again. 
uh, when you think about the effects of what happens when these things, uh, if you are greedy, if you are selfish, uh, if uh, you are slothful, what are the effects of sin? Uh, what does that lead to in our life, in our society, in our city? Uh, what are some of the effects of sin? Breaking relationships. Thank you. Shame. Got that, Julie? Yeah, sorry, sorry. you guys are so, so right, yeah. <laughs> right, shame, Julie. What would you say? Guilt. Thank you, Jim. Getting in trouble with the police. Sure. Pain. I heard death. What would you say? Toy? Voids? Voice. Okay. What are some others? Yeah, Richard? Losing trust. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Wait, let's go. Let's, um, let's list a couple of systemic issues. So let's, uh, systemic poverty uh, is a result of sin. Uh, what are some other like, systemic issues we see in our society, effects of sin? What? Corruption. Corruption. Housing, crisis. Housing crisis. Sure. Health care. Health and wealth inequality, we'll call it. Survive. Yeah. Yeah, systemic poverty, systemic racism. What's that? Isolation. Isolation. Grief. Grief. Yeah. Any others? Effects of sin? See, I had broken relationships, broken families, broken neighborhoods. Oh, how about we talked about this one a lot last time? Uh, how about burnout? Wearing yourself out. Systemic poverty, systemic racism, wealth inequality, death. Oh, we, we missed this one. Uh, hell. Guilt, shame, debt. Stress and anxiety. Uh, climate change. Toxic masculinity. And Christian nationalism. To name a few. Any others that before we go on? All right, thank you, writers. All right, we'll go back to those. Thank you, guys. Good job. All right, so here's the big idea for today about what the idea of salvation, uh, the kind of the broader context. We've already talked about, we'll talk a little bit more about it, about that salvation does include going to heaven, potentially going to heaven when you die. Here's the bigger part that we want to make sure we hit on. This is from uh, Dallas Willard. Dallas Willard says, There's no problem in human life that apprenticeship to Jesus cannot solve. So according to Dallas Willard, smart guy, as deep as some of these problems are of sin, as deep as some of these effects of sin are in our world, as painful and hard as they are, according to Dallas Willard, that if people were to decide, if a group of people were to decide, if we were to decide, that we were going to actively not just put our trust in Jesus kind of figuratively, but actually say, I'm going to do and listen and obey the things that Jesus is telling me to do in everyday life, 
in his mind, we can be saved from any issue, any effect, sorry, any sin or the effect of sin. Uh, to give you a little bit more of a bigger, broader concept of this uh, scripturally, uh, here's a couple different verses I want to look at. Uh, the first is from uh, the book of Exodus. So this is in the Old Testament. Uh, this is really the first time that the idea of salvation comes up, that God wants to bring salvation to a group of people. Uh, and this is the group of people that have been enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. And here's what it says. Uh, it says, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. And I think we would agree that slavery and slave drivers and misery and suffering are effects of sin and systemic sin in our world. So I have come down to save them. Jesus, God is going to do something to save them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And then you can continue to read the story, and God gives them a list of things that he wants them to do and to follow and to trust, and God is going to do some things along the way that only God can do that they can never do on themselves. And in the process, God is going to save a group of people. And it has nothing in this instance to do with them eventually going to heaven when they die. God wants to right here, right now, deliver them from the effects of sin and systemic sin in their life. Uh, Here's another one. This is from uh, the New Testament. This is Jesus. Uh, so Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there uh, by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. And he wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. And uh, you might have heard this story before. We've talked about this story before. It's tough for us to totally get in line of like, how big of a deal was it Zacchaeus and he was a tax collector? Um, but that was about as like, bad as you could be as a person in that day and age. Uh, because a tax collector was someone who was Jewish who intentionally went to go work for the Roman government so that he could exploit his own people by taking money away from them, often lots of money, money that was driving them into poverty. And then he, in the process, made himself very, very wealthy. Um, it might be similar in our day of, like, if you are a Ukrainian citizen and you want to go work for the Russian government and you are doing it in a way in which you are now exploiting the, your fellow Ukrainians and in the process of it, you are making yourself very rich and how popular that would make you with all your friends and family back in the Ukraine and what they would think of you as a traitor, as a terrible person. I can't believe that you did that. And that's the kind of person that Zacchaeus was. So isolation, broken relationships, broken families, uh, everything that went along with greed, and it just was all so present in this guy Zacchaeus. So he ran ahead, Zacchaeus, and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him. He wanted to get up to see Jesus because Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he's going to go and Jesus is going to be in the house of this guy who's a traitor. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly, which is a bit of a side note, but I just love that in a world where 
Zacchaeus was seen as such a sinner, and he's so welcomed. Jesus loves sinners, and sinners love Jesus, and that's such a cool thing. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner, because religious people sometimes have a way of looking down on what they consider to be worse sinners, and they don't think that if you're even spending time with those kind of people, and we have our own those kind of people in our day and age. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. All this wealth he had gotten through being unequitable by taking advantage of other people. He's now going to give half of his possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody, and certainly he had, out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. So something happened when he met Jesus that he decided... I can't keep living this way. I can't keep just sucking up all this money at the expense of all these people. I am going to change my ways. I am going to do something differently. And Jesus said to him, Today, not someday, but today, salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. And then he sums it up, For the Son of Man, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. What happened on that day? Was it that now like Zacchaeus got some sort of a special ticket that he was going to, you know, he got his fire insurance that day and someday he was now going to get to go to heaven and not go to hell? I think that was part of it. I don't know how much Zacchaeus even understood about that though. What Zacchaeus knew though is that all the trail of broken relationships, all the guilt and shame that he walked around as he saw all these people that he had taken advantage of, through some steps that he had taken on his own and some things that, that God did that only he could do, he decided that he was going to live his life differently. And salvation came into his life that day. Jesus saved him by offering him a different way to live, and Zacchaeus took it. Uh, here's the next one. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And a lot of these I know are kind of like uh, brought together, but I think we define them a lot in the same way, and Jesus defined them in the same way. This idea of the gospel, this idea of being saved, and this idea that you can have eternal life. And what does the idea of eternal life mean? And again, a lot of times we define it as going to heaven or going to hell someday. But Jesus would often define eternal life as something that would happen in the future and was available right here and right now. And this guy wants to know, what must I do to get to eternal life? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Here's what I want you to do. You have answered correctly, Jesus said. If you do this, you will live. If you do what? If you say a certain prayer, if you decide you want to get baptized, all good things. But if you do those things, if you love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your mind and love yourself and love your neighbor as yourself, you will experience eternal life right here, right now. Uh, of course, he goes on, uh, but he wanted to justify himself, so he asked, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, he tells a story you might have heard before. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers, and they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. This is sin to beat somebody 
and to almost kill them, try to kill them. And it's obviously an effect of sin that this guy is now laying, beaten, dying. A priest uh, happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. A priest, a man who obviously must have believed many of the right things, surely knew many of the right things, had probably memorized a good portion of Scripture to that point. But when he saw this man, thought, no, I'm not interested, don't have the time. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Another man knew the right things, probably seemingly did a lot of the religious right things, never missed a church service. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Saw this man and thought, something has to be done. Someone needs to do something, and I could be that person who does something. So he went to him, and he bandaged his wounds, pouring oil on it and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, you ride, I'll walk, and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, which is a good amount of money, and gave them to the innkeeper and said, look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for the extra expenses you may have. The idea is, this guy didn't know this guy. This was a stranger. This was someone that he saw needed to be saved. This man had been in a terrible situation who desperately needed help. And this man thought, I have the money, I have the resources, I can make the time, and I could be the person who helps this. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor of the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Go do that same thing. When you see people in need, I want you to go, and I want you to extra money, extra time, all the sacrifice that it would have taken, you know, getting blood on your clothes and on your donkey. I want you to go and do the same. Well, why would you go and do the same? Well, again, the, the initial question was he said, if you want to, you have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. If you want to live... If you want to experience eternal life right here, right now, this is what you need to do. You need to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. This is what you need to make a practice of. And if you make a practice of every day waking up, they say, I'm going to do whatever I can to serve the Lord, obey the Lord, and I'm going to love the people around me whether I know them or not, you will experience eternal life right here and right now. You will be saved You will experience salvation, and you will bring salvation to the people around you. Uh, And uh, on and on and on. This is the message that Jesus would give. uh, As he would give this invitation and offer people. And it wasn't a, hey, if you want to like how I grew up, if if, if anyone wants to come forward at the end of the church service, and if you want to say a certain prayer, then someday you're going to get saved and you're going to go to heaven someday. There was part of that. But the invitation that Jesus regularly gave to people was, do you want to live right now? Do you want to experience a new way to be human? Do you want to experience the way that I always created the world to be? Here's what I want you to do is I want you to follow me. I want you to do the things that I did and do. Uh, We've looked at this one a few times. I love this from Matt. Go back one more, uh, Kim. Uh, Jesus says, are you tired 
Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me and get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Are you, are you exhausted from this life of sin and the effects of sin? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to walk with me and work with me. I want you to watch how I do it. I want you to learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. This is what I think the offer of salvation is. is Jesus wants you to come and watch him. He wants you to walk with him. He wants you to see how he treated other people, how he acted with other people, how he spent his money. And he believes that if we are to learn his ways, then we will be able to live freely and lightly. We will be saved from our sin because if we're really following Jesus, we won't be doing the same things that keep ending us up in these same circumstances. We'll be beginning to live a different kind of righteous, holy life that we might never be perfect in, but Jesus has invited and he gives us supernatural power through his Holy Spirit to actually live. And he offers us the ability that we could start doing that right now. And as we do, we will escape the effects of sin ourselves and we can help other people do it the same. Uh, and again, this is what Dallas Willard says. He said, there's no problem in human life that apprenticeship to Jesus cannot solve. That there's not one of these things that we wrote on the board. That if we decided we were going to actually live out the words of Jesus, wouldn't be solved in our own life. And there's not one of those effects of sin that if we decided as a community and the more that, as we talk about, that we want salvation to spread to our friends and neighbors and we want other people to follow in the way of Jesus, any issue, the violence and shootings that we prayed for, the systemic racism, wealth inequality, the, the, the grief that we feel, as a group of people begin to actually live out the way of Jesus, we will see the kingdom of God start to show up in our world here and now, and we can experience salvation and eternal life right here and right now. Uh, as we end, we want to kind of get a, a little bit uh, practical with this. So we're going to uh, take communion together. Uh, and as we take communion, again, one of the things we want to do is we want to define and redefine different things. Thank you, Lenore. You're all about the cues. I love it. Uh, a lot of times when we come to communion, again, we think of the cross, we think of Jesus dying on the cross, we think about him bringing us salvation from our sins, and that's all awesome. But again, even the cross is something that is still, it's, it could be defined way too narrowly. And Jesus came to die for our sins, for sure, but it's bigger than just, again, that we're going to get to go to heaven someday, that we're going to be forgiven of our sins, and that someday, like, that's going to be our pass into heaven someday. But the cross and communion has something for us right here and right now. Uh, so I'm going to read uh, a couple verses to us, and then uh, we're going to give you a time to be able to take communion, and I would like you to participate a little bit while we're taking communion today. So there's a communion that's in the middle there, so you have to get up and take your communion, and the reason why I want you to get up uh, it might be a little bit hard for you to read, so you might need to walk around to some of these things that are written there. 
But there's some of these sins and effects of sins that we've written today that are incredibly personal for you. And they could be personal in one or two or both ways. Uh, for some of us, they are very personal because they are a sin that we are in the process of we committed it this morning or we were planning on maybe doing it again later today. It's been a process. It's a thing we keep falling into and we need to be saved from it because we see the effect of it. We see how it's affecting the people around us. We see how it's affecting us. We see the guilt and the shame that's attached to it. And we need Jesus to do something. We need to be like the people in Egypt and we're crying out for help and asking God, can you please deliver me from this slavery? And Jesus, like he did for Zacchaeus, has the ability to bring salvation right here and right now. And so when we take communion, uh, if you find one of those things that is true for you on the board, I would love for you just to, with one of the pens that are around, just put your initials near that. Uh, there's some other sins on there that are very personal to you because it's someone that you know and love, or maybe it's just things that you see in the community, and it just, it burdens your heart. Like, just the fact that you know that people are struggling with that just, like, hurts you on the inside. You know it hurts God. It hurts you. And you feel like that God might be calling you to be like the, the vessel that God is using to bring salvation. Maybe it's because you're just communicating the words of Jesus, love, grace, the new way he's telling people to live to a person. Maybe if it's one of these uh, ideas of uh, effects of sin, maybe God's asking you to get involved and really helping to bring uh, a way out of folks in poverty, folks out of effects of violence, folks in the midst of uh, some sort of addiction. Again, uh, if you have one of those, I'd love for you to initial your name next to it. And the nice thing about that is none of us will know. We don't know if like, it's your personal struggle or someone that you're trying to help, but you'll know. Uh, and as we do, just know that there is a God that is offering love and forgiveness and salvation today. Uh, so let me read this kind of bigger idea of what the cross is. This is from Paul. So therefore, if anyone is in Christ, which is the idea that they're actually following Jesus, they're actually doing the things that Jesus told them to do, the new creation has come. You can experience it right now. The old is gone. The new is here. And all this is from God who reconciled us. This God can change us, is changing us. He is reconciling us. He wants to make the world right to himself through Christ. And he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He wants us to do that same thing for others. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal, his salvation appeal, through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness so whenever you're ready, Lenore's going to play for a little while. We'll take a few minutes here.
come and take communion, God is imploring you to be reconciled to him. If there's a sin in your life that you need salvation from, today could be the day. If there's a sin that God is asking you to be an agent of his reconciliation for, today could be the start of that day. Just take communion and add your initials to as many as you, God's calling you to do today. Let's take those moments now.